welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Like even myself, I've had times when I've ridden with a power meter and then for some reason I have to get it serviced or whatever and I don't have it for two months. And the first week is like, am I going hard? Am I going easy? What am I doing here? <laughs> but that, and then like a week later, you're fine. You know what you're doing. You, you don't need that power meter actually. But especially in any type of intervals, that first bit, that first 30 seconds, where you, where you actually start to feel what that effort will do to you is like that where the power meter gives you the edge. Welcome back to Fast Talk, the Velo News Performance Podcast. I'm your co-host, Coach Trevor Cotter, here with my usual partner, Senior Editor Kaylee Fretz. Hey, Kaylee. How you doing? Today, we're getting back to the technology side of cycling and talking about power meters. So joining us, we have Velo News Tech Whiz's Dan Cavallari. Hey, Dan. Hey, Trevor. And Kristen Legan. Hey, hey. <laughs> Today, they're going to help us dissect these increasingly popular tools. We'll delve into exactly how the different types work and what that means in terms of accuracy. I'll talk about a few of the pros and cons of using a power meter for training, and then we'll give you some guidance for buying your next power meter. And of course, don't forget to check out Dan and Kristen's power meter review in the March issue of Velo News. Let's make you fast. All right, let's jump straight into this. So, yeah, we brought in our, our resident tech experts, Dan and Kristen, today. And the reason we have you guys here is because uh, we're talking about very complicated technical things, and you guys are super, super smart. So, first of all, I think before we have any sort of discussion of power meters, we should probably take the first half of that word, two words, and define it. Dan, can you tell me what power is? Well, I'm going to give you kind of the big 30,000-foot view here. Um, so power, aside from something I don't have a whole lot of, uh, is in a bike-specific sense, it's the force required to drive your bike and you forward. And that's over time. I mean, so it's not just like I, I hit the pedals once and that's my my power. It's calculated over time, and there's different sorts of, of calculations that Trevor will get into later. But basically, it's how much work you're doing to move your bike forward. And that that goes directly into what is a, a watt, and a watt is essentially a measurement of that force. So that's that's a very very simplistic view of of what we're talking about here. There's a lot of of more technical explanation, but just to give you a general sense of what this power meter is going to be measuring, that's essentially what you're looking at. Yeah, we don't need to get it deep into the math here, right? But that is generally the point. So you're saying that power is you know, there are a whole bunch of forces working against you, aerodynamic drag, rolling resistance, gravity sometimes, and power is what you're using to overcome those forces and move forward. That is correct. So one important thing to know about when you're thinking about power is power is, by definition, work over time. Work is, is moving a, a weight or basically producing a force. So if you think of it like a bicep curl, if you pick up 60 pounds and you curl that, you've done a lot of work and it takes a lot of strength. But power is a little more than that. Power is the amount of work you do in a given period of time. So if you pick up that 60-pound weight and curl it, yeah, that's a lot of work. But if you curl it really slowly versus somebody who picks up a 20-pound weight and curls that really rapidly and curls it, let's say, four times in the length of time that it takes you to curl the 60 pounds once, they've actually produced more power because they've done more work in a given period of time. 
That's really important in cycling because we have this effect called cadence. The higher the cadence, the less actual work you have to do per pedal stroke, and you can still produce more power. And this is why track sprinters sprint at like 140 RPM. Right. All right, so we know what power is. We know what watts are now. Just the, just the basics that everyone should, should have in the back of their head somewhere. How is power actually measured in a cycling context, Dan? So uh, inside every power meter is this little t- device called a strain gauge. And what a strain gauge does is when you apply force to that component, whether it's your, your crank or your, you know, your hub or there's pedal, pedal-based power meters, Kristen's going to talk more about this later, it, this strain gauge lives in one of those components. And when you apply force to that strain gauge, the strain gauge actually deforms. And what you're measuring with a power meter is the, the distance of that deformation. And here's the big problem with power meters. That deformation is so tiny that to get an accurate measurement of how much is actually deforming is incredibly difficult, which is why there's, when you're talking about power meters, there's, there's two things you're talking about is there's accuracy and then there's consistency. Accuracy is incredibly difficult for a power meter to measure because that uh, tiny little strain gauge is only deflecting a tiny little bit. So to measure that, it's very, very difficult. Right. I know, Trevor, you have told me this many, many times that the absolute accuracy in a power meter is less important than a consistent reading. And by that, we mean if you go out and your power meter says 300 watts, whether that's whether you're actually producing 300 watts is less relevant than if it tells you 300 watts every time you're doing that same amount of work. Trevor, can you go into a little bit more depth into why that is so important, particularly since we're talking about training for for bike racing here why is it more important to have a power meter that you can essentially trust to give you the same numbers for the same amount of work versus one that is absolutely accurate say compared to like a lab version of a power meter right so one of the important things to know about with power meters is they don't actually measure power what they measure is really squeaky chairs (laughs) (laughs) i have a lot of power then (laughs) what they actually measure is torque and then power is calculated. And we, we calculate the power based on our, our scientific theories of how that torque can be converted to power. I'm sounding overly complex. Basically what this means is, is power is a guess. We have no idea, not a single power meter when it's reading 400 watts. Do we truly know is that 400 watts? It's what we think is the correct formula. Every power meter uses slightly different formulas. So when you look, what this means is when you are looking down at your computer and you see that you're doing 400 watts, you have no idea of knowing if that's really accurate, if that's really true. Plus, you have the issue that power meters say their, their accuracy is within about 5%. That's plus or minus 5%. So let's say you're pushing 300 watts. That means you could actually be doing 315. You could actually be doing 285. That's a big difference. And just from my own personal experience with power meters, with the athletes I work with, you can really see a wide range. So now we know what to blame is what you're saying. (laughs) I already knew. (laughs) Even within a particular model, I've I've done testing. I actually, in the the early days of Quark, I, I was helping them out to get their power meters figured out. We were putting their quarks up against a scientific Velotron. I was actually very impressed with them. They were very, very close. It's one of the things that sold me on Quark. But you can still, from power meter to power meter, see huge variance. So I think that absolute number, when if you climb a hill and hit it really hard and you see 330 watts, 
you have to be careful about saying to everybody, I, 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 can, I can now do 330 watts for 20 minutes. That's what your power meter says. But if I put you on another one, it could be saying 290. And who knows what's the truth? So don't get too caught up in the accuracy. Don't get too caught up in that absolute number. What is more important is consistency. Meaning that if you go out and do that hill at the same pace with the same wind every day, you want to be seeing the exact same wattage every time. If you go out one day and you see 330 watts, you go out the next day and you see 280 watts, and then the day after that you see 360, then your power meter is pretty useless. Ultimately, you're using it as a training tool and you want to see changes within yourself. So you want to see that Back in March, you were doing that climb at 290 watts. Now at the peak of the season, you're doing that climb at 330 watts, but you're at the same heart rate. So you know that you've improved. You've got stronger. You've, you've become stronger. But you have to have a consistent power meter for that. So that's what I look for with the athletes I'm coaching. I don't care too much if it's absolutely accurate. I do care if it's consistent. All right. So that's pretty well established. Accuracy. Maybe not exactly what we're what you need from a power meter. Much more important is consistency and repeatability. Trevor, can you? I feel like we bagged on power meters quite a lot in a recent episode. Actually, it wasn't that recent. It was last fall, the heart rate monitor strap episode. I think it was episode four where we said, you know, don't throw out your your heart rate strap because it's a very important tool. It's much cheaper than a power meter. And everyone should be using a heart rate strap. And we, we did kind of bag on, on power meters in that episode. We're saying that power teaches you something very different from heart rate and that heart rate is exceptionally valuable. Tell me why, though, power is exceptionally valuable. I mean, I think this is, this is something of a given. We look, we look at pro cyclists and almost every single one of them is training with power, except for a couple super old school Spanish and Italian guys. Uh, but everybody else is training with power. So tell me why that is and what exactly we should be doing with these things. So yeah, we were a little mean to power meters in our heart rate uh, episode and I will admit to you I gave away my bias. I actually think one of the greatest compliments I ever got was uh, I think one of the best coaches in the country is a, a guy named Neil Henderson and a few of the athletes in Boulder started referring to me as Neil with heart rate. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I like certainly that. am a, a big believer. Does that mean Neil's dead? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Neil, if you're out there, check in with us. We're worried. Yep. Neil, uh, Neil Henderson, zombie trainer man. <laughs> no, Neil does magic things with, with power and certainly focus on the power side. I focus a little more on the heart rate side, but I do feel absolutely there, there's huge value to, to a power meter. And ultimately where we ended that episode, which I'll... I'll repeat here, is the best thing is to have both. Heart rate, as we said in that episode, is a good measure of what's going on with the body, what's going on with your physiology, which you don't get from power. But what power gives you is an ability to compare. We talk, you know, we just covered accuracy. It's not always incredibly accurate, but it still gives you a way to compare yourself, not just to others, but also to yourself. So you go up a climb, somebody else does the same climb. It really doesn't mean much if you go... Well, you went up that climb at 165 beats per minute. I went up at 172 beats per minute, so I kicked your butt. It's true. Uh, you, you have no comparison no there. <laughs> and your threshold heart rate is your threshold heart rate. So even as you get faster, if you go up that climb at threshold, it's always going to be the same heart rate. But if you go up that climb faster, your wattage is going to go up. 
So you have a way to compare. You have a way to see when you're comparing yourself to yourself over time, you have a way of seeing if you're getting stronger or weaker. And if you're like me and you're in your mid-40s, you cry a lot about it as you see your power numbers going on those climbs. You also can, to a degree, compare yourself to others. If you go up that climb at 400 watts, you can feel pretty good about it if everybody else is doing it at 300 watts. But I will still always say, don't look at your power numbers. See numbers that you think are comparable to what pros do and think you're going to win a race. There's a lot more to racing than just what you're putting out. Um, I can't remember who said it, but one pro rider said if it was just down to power, we'd put everybody on a trainer at the start of the race, see who puts out the biggest wattage and declare them the winner. That's, that's what Sky's trying to do, actually. I think that's. I think they've put that forward to the UCI and said, <laughs> can we just put the whole team on trainers in France and we'll just leave them in Paris the whole time? Yeah. Like one of those roller races they have in New York City. <laughs> that would be a good, that, that'd be fun. Um, <laughs> no, 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 it wouldn't be fun. Would be awful. It would not be fun, Trevor. Sure <laughs> the other only, only a coach would find that fun. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> I retract. <laughs> the other sad thing you, you, about power meters and trainers is I don't know if anybody saw the video on YouTube of the gold medalist on the track toasting a piece of bread. They, they hooked up a, a regular toaster to his bike and he had to kill himself just to toast a piece of bread. Yeah, so, yeah, and like, uh, what, one horsepower is 746 watts? Go yes. see how long you can ride at 746 watts. That's one horsepower. You are weaker than your lawnmower. <laughs> Whatever, all... I push that thing around all the time. <laughs> what are you talking about? All right, so. so... But as, as we move into this, the important thing to remember about a power meter, what it gives you is a tool for comparison. So accuracy would be great, but you can't rely too much on the accuracy. But consistency, because you want to be able to compare yourself to yourself, you absolutely need consistency in your power meter. So that's when we talk about the different types. Let's make sure we're addressing consistency with each. Kaylee and I had a chance to catch up with Top Cannondale Drop Pack Pro Tom Skugens. Tom, I apologize. I, you taught us how to pronounce your name, and I'm sure I just got that wrong. But Tom shared with us his thoughts about power meters. Uh, just your thoughts on power meters. Uh, do you like using one? Do you think it's a helpful tool? Uh, is it vital to, you know, if, if I took your power meter away, would you get slower next season? Do you think it's a really good question actually. And I recently saw a 12 year old kid riding with a power meter and I was like, that's just wrong. <laughs> Cause for sure. The first thing about it is just having that feel for it. Because I never race with a power meter. Well, I have it on me, but I never look at the numbers. My Garmin shows me speed, distance, and time. That's all. Not No heart rate, no power. Because that sometimes just screws with your head. But in training, for sure, the ability to know exactly where you are is very, very key for top-level competition. But... Anyone who's under the age of 18, like un until my kid turns 18, he's not getting a power meter, you know? You just, you think it makes you too kind of neurotic and, and yeah. yeah. Like even myself, I've had times when I've ridden with a power meter and then for some reason I have to get it serviced or whatever, and I don't have it for two months. And the first week is like, 
am I going hard? Am I going easy? What am I doing here? <laughs> but that, and then like a week later, you're fine. You know what you're doing. You, you don't need that power meter actually. But especially in any type of intervals, that first bit, that first 30 seconds, where you, where you actually start to feel what that effort will do to you is like that where the power meter gives you the edge. Right. You probably got too hard otherwise. Right? Yeah, exactly. And most yeah. of the times, yes. What if I purposely leave my power meter uncalibrated because it makes me feel better about myself? Is that a bad thing? You have some deep-seated psychological <laughs> issues <laughs> we need to address. What if I know that my power meter reads high when it's cold outside? Well, look, so I ride when it's cold outside and I feel better about myself. These are some important things to know about your, your power meter. And so please, everybody, pipe in. You two are the experts on this and, and know more than I do. But I'm going to tell you, there's, there's little things that make a big difference. One of the things to know about is when a battery starts dying, power meters start becoming less and less accurate. You lose the consistency. So make sure you replace your battery before it dies or you charge it before it dies. You're going to start getting bad numbers. Somebody who really does care about the numbers, make sure you're doing your calibration. Most most bike computers have a way to calibrate um, on every ride. Also know there's, for most power meters, two types of calibration. There's that on-ride calibration that's pretty good. But every once in a while, you have to have a, a true factory recalibration done on your power meter. And that's one of the things that I think separates an expensive power meter from a, a lower quality power meter. You have an SRM or a Quark, you can go a couple of years before you need that factory recalibration. With some of the, the, the cheaper ones, I've seen that initially they're, they're pretty consistent, they're pretty good, but then they start getting pretty wonky and you have to start doing that factory recalibration almost every six months. Well, and it, I think it's also important to remember that these are imperfect tools measuring an imperfect machine. And over time, the more you use a power meter, you know, if you invest in whatever power meter you buy, you're going to use that pretty consistently. Most people are not going to be like us and have five different power meters at their disposal. You're <laughs> going to pick one and you're going to use it for a long time. And you're going to start to understand the numbers as they come out. And so if, if I know that I'm hitting this one climb pretty consistently, consistently between 280 and 315 watts, uh, and then all of a sudden I'm hitting it at 420 or something ridiculous, I know something's up. I know there's a problem with the power meter or... I think know, my power meter just got better. Yeah, my power yeah, meter yeah. just got more awesome. Yep. <laughs> um, something was spiked in my coffee. You know, you're going to notice something's up. You're going to know when there's something wrong. So yes, consistency is, is vastly more important. And I think that's going to be the indicator of when there's something wrong with your power meter. Maybe my battery's dying. Maybe it's cold out and, and I'm getting some weird, some weird readouts. The other day I was, I was riding with a power meter and just one power meter, but I had two devices hooked up to it. I had uh, my head unit, uh, my Garmin, and I also had a uh, Oakley radar pace, which was picking up the reading as well. And the radar pace was consistently consistently giving me a readout 10 to 15 watts higher than the Garmin. Does that matter? No, not really, because it was consistently between the, in that range. So again, these are imperfect instruments measuring an imperfect machine, and you need to understand what your power meter is doing over time. And you're going to get that once you start using it consistently. As a coach, there are actually very legitimate effects that you see when a power meter reads higher, when it reads low. I've had athletes that have power meters that read low, and it actually gets them a little depressed. 
Even when you tell them, look, I know your power meter is reading low. The numbers you're putting out, you would be getting dropped on the rides you're on at that power. They're aware of it, but still when they look at it every day and they, they upload it to Strava or wherever, they get a little depressed. On the flip side, last year I had a power meter that I knew was reading high. It was reading really high. It was like 40, 50 watts high. And I could have, I had the tools to do the factory recalibration. I could have done it. I was 44 years old. I was loving seeing see, the numbers. <laughs> I, I was loving seeing the numbers I used to see in my pro days. I'm like, no, I'm not going to fix it. But somewhere along the line... <laughs> Have a seat on the couch. Let's talk yeah. about this. <laughs> I convinced myself those were my real numbers. And then I signed up to go to this race I love called the Tour of Tobago, which is a pro race, going down saying... I think I can compete again. Look at my numbers. I went down there. First climb, I was out the back because those were not my real numbers. So you have to, to be careful and you have to also know the psychological effects. Even when you're aware, my power meter is a little high or my power meter is a little low. It's probably because you didn't shave your legs that morning. That's probably what was, was killing you. I have legitimately 10 pounds of hair on my legs. So Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But it's also important to know these things when you're doing your, when you're training, because if you go out and establish an FTP, a functional threshold power on your device, on your power meter, and then it changes, it starts to read low and you're still trying to keep it right at certain levels, you're actually ending up doing workouts above or below where you really should be. And that's right. going to change the, the physiology and the, and the, the work behind your workout. And so it really can have some, some big effects in terms of, you know, you're going to end up just totally overtraining or you're just going to be, you know, way below what you, where you should be. So, so that's, um, something to keep track of. Yeah. So something that, that I want to add when you go in to get a lactate test or, or go into a physiological lab to get all the testing to see where your threshold is, to see your lactate response, there are different philosophies on this. And I'll tell you mine and uh, what a, a lot of physiologists like to take the rider, get them off of their bike, put them on a very accurate, what, uh, either a SRM bike or a, a scientific Bellatron and give them what, what's considered true power numbers. And they're very, very adamant about that, that they need to see what their true, true numbers are. I actually don't agree with that. And I've had that argument with physiologists because, as Kristen was saying, you might get numbers from that test that are wildly different from what your power meter shows you. And so you're going to end up going and doing your intervals at completely wrong numbers. So I'm very big on when you go in to do a lactate test, they should hook you up to a CompuTrainer on your own bike and do the testing with your own bike's power meter. Yes, it might not be accurate. It's certainly not going to be as accurate as a scientific Velotron, but then you're going to get your power values based on your power meter. And then when you go and do your interval work, you know the actual right zones to do it in. And that's, like I said, that's my belief. I've said that to some physiologists who do testing and they think that's a horrible idea. So that's something that is debated. So I have two legs. This is true. Yeah. I've seen it. It's, yeah, Dan's seen both of them, yep. actually. Yet there are power meters that only measure power out of one leg. I'm thinking specifically of stages power meters. Uh, that's sort of their thing. And it's part of the reason why they're so cheap. And I think that we should uh, <laughs> we should put a pretty big distinction between cheap and bad. I think all of us are, are actually quite impressed with 
it's the quality of a stage's meter. But regardless, they only measure power out of your out of your left leg. Uh, Garmin actually does a one-sided vector pedal power meter as well. If you are on a stages and you only pedal with your right leg, it says you're doing zero watts, right? So that, that sort of begs the question to me, uh, A, is that a bad thing? Uh, B, if yes or no, why? Uh, and is if it's a bad thing, is it is a is it bad enough that I should not want to save you know forty percent on fifty percent on a power meter, uh, and get something that's two sided just to just to have that right leg? Well, I think it's actually there's some debate out there right now about the the right left and then just left only. So as we said, the 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 meters that just collect data from the left side, they do a calculation pretty much just double it to get your total power reading, and Obviously, our rights and our left legs, are, our sides of our bodies are going to be different and produce power slightly differently. But trying to equalize that, if you're using a power meter that measures your right and your left, and you're watching that on your Garmin, it doesn't actually mean that you're going to be able to produce more power if you're trying to even those out. So even though you, it's great to have more information when you have the ref, left and the right, it doesn't necessarily make it better in a lot of ways, and it's not going to make you faster or stronger all the time. So it, it depends on how you ride and how interested you are into diving into the data and really looking at you know your differences from the left to the right. If you're just looking for a number you can follow and track and see if you're making improvements, I think you can definitely get away with just the one-sided. Okay, so I'll give you my personal bias on this, and some of this comes from experience. A couple of years ago, I bought one of the quarks that has left-right balance and was really excited to start seeing that number and went out for my first ride. That was right what I put on my screen. It was all I wanted to watch and spent an entire ride looking at 50-50, periodically 49-51, and realized I really wasn't getting a, a ton of useful information during that ride, certainly not anything that was going to affect my training. That being said... Last year, I, I had a point where I, I threw my back out, and as soon as I got back on the bike after throwing my back out, I was looking at a 60-40 balance. So I had some real biomechanical issues going on that, that was going right down my right leg. And the left-right balance really helped me to see the progression in my rehabilitation from the back injury. And I made it a goal to get back to that at least 49-51. So I think my answer on it is if you are biomechanically functioning well or, or functioning at least average like most people, you're really going to see something very close to 50-50. And I, I don't think having that, that separate left-right is going to make that much of a difference for you. And even something like a stages that's going to extrapolate the other side is still going to give you pretty accurate numbers. Um, if you have a biomechanical issue or you have an injury that's really affecting your left-right balance, you're not going to see it. So something like the stages is going to start uh, improperly estimating your, your power numbers. And you're also not going to see that you have a biomechanical issue. And maybe you need to go see a chiropractor or, physiology, or, or, or a PT um, and get this result. So if you're healthy and functioning, I don't see a, a, an advantage. If you have those sorts of issues, yeah, it can be really helpful, and you, you, you should hopefully have that left-right. Well, this leads us 
pretty directly into a discussion of uh, which power meters are better. And I think better as often as is often the case uh, is largely dependent on, on the use and the person who's using. So you guys do quite a lot of research into the various power meters available on the market. And that is constantly changing. I know it's changed a lot in the last couple of years. I was the tech editor of Ellen News a couple of years ago. So I basically have stopped paying attention to this for the last two years. And I know in that time, the market has changed dramatically. Things are a lot cheaper. We now have a lot of, all these sort of you know, one-sided power meters. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But sort of from a from a 10,000-foot view, you can buy power meters in a whole bunch of different places on your bike. You can buy hub meters and, and crank meters and things like that. Uh, can you just quickly, quickly run me through what the options are? And then maybe sort of a quick benefit and drawback of each location. Yeah, right. So so there's basically five different types of power meters or where those power meters are located. You have your rear hub, the pedals, bottom bracket, your crank spider, and your crank arm. And so that's basically just where the where the strain gauge is going to be located for each of those meters. Some of these locations are going to be better. They're going to be easier to swap between bikes. So your rear hub, you can swap wheels. Pedals are going to be easy to go from one bike to another. Others that you you may not want to be taking your crank arms on and off all the time, um, that's going to be a little bit less easy to swap between bikes. So there's it just depends on what you're looking for in terms of power and, um, and ability to use from bike to bike. So it seems to me that I, well, SRM is always described as, as kind of the gold standard. And I think that... There's a pretty, actually a pretty good case to be made these days for Quark uh, being up there as well, maybe even surpassing SRM. Why is it that, that crank-based power meters tend to be viewed this way? Are they inherently more accurate? From a layman's view, it seems like, some, like measuring power as something like a pedal would be a little bit more complicated because you have a lot more sort of different directionals of force coming into that, that pedal spindle. Well, I think the closer that you, well, I don't know, what is the answer to this question? Why would a would a crank spider base be better than a crank arm? So I think this depends a little bit on uh, where the power is being measured in relation to your actual pedal stroke, because you want to you want to get that power reading as close to your pedal stroke as possible. The further away it gets, the less accurate of a reading I think you're going to get. So why not a pedal based power meter? Well, I think. There's a couple things uh, with a with a pedal. There's more moving parts, whereas your crank is sort of a stationary object. So I think the reading is probably going to be a little bit more accurate there. And also, pedal power meters uh, up till this point, until recently, have uh, only measured power on one side, uh, and then there was a calculation from the other side that has that was basically an estimate of mm-hmm. your power. So I think crank arm has probably persisted because it's been the most reliable position right. for measuring that power. And it's probably kind of the easiest place to put it, I would think. I mean, like like I said, I think a pedal power meter, if you put a, if you put a strain gauge in a spindle, it has to be able to determine which forces are actually moving you forward versus which forces are you just like jumping up and down on your pedals, right? I mean, because that, that's all still force going into flexing the spindle, but that's not actually moving you forward in any way. That's I think these are mostly assumption. guesses. I mean, these are mostly assumptions. Yeah. We're not yeah. we're not engineers. And But I've also got to say, I think some of the, I mean, we can look at which is more accurate, those sorts of questions. And there's certainly the issue of basically your body produces energy. That energy gets converted ultimately into producing power. The further you, away you get from the body, the more energy you lose. So technically, the closer you are to, to your body or to your working muscles, the more accurate it's going to be. But frankly, the, the calibration issues with the power meter are going to be so much greater than the, the little losses of energy. That doesn't matter. 
So I think a lot of it has more to do with, with practical issues. I would imagine in a crank-based power meter, that's going to be larger. You can probably put bigger strain gauges than you could in, in a pedal, so you can actually measure those, those very minor deformations a, a little bit better. Another real practical thing is, is pedals wear out. Cranks last a long time. Um, so I think I'd look more at those sort of factors than which is, try to figure out which is going to be more accurate. So let's return to something I said earlier, which is that the market has changed really dramatically in the last couple of years. And the biggest change there has been significantly cheaper power meters. I mean, you can now get a stages for what? Five, six hundred bucks brand new. You're talking about a used one then in the mm-hmm. three, four hundred dollar range. I mean, it was not that long ago that you could not find a new power meter for less than like twelve hundred bucks. The thing about those power meters is they are often one-sided. The stages is one-sided. The cheaper Garmin Vector is one-sided. In this in this very now wide power meter market, we have new players. We have uh, well, we have a, a, a cleat-based power meter that actually just went out of business, I guess, after a successful Kickstarter. Brim Brothers is now gone. That is proof in itself that building a power meter is a heck of a lot harder than it looks from the outside sometimes. Where have we seen... As consumers, where have we seen sort of the most benefit in the last couple of years? Is it just price or are these things getting better as well? Well, I think they're getting more convenient. Uh, you know, the, the, that's the big sell for me for a pedal-based power meter is that I can swap them super easy between bikes. I've got – currently I've got two two different power meters that are pedal-based and it, it is so much easier for me to actually – dedicate myself to using a power meter knowing that I can swap between bikes. It, it actually has improved my understanding of my own power just because I'm using it more consistently. So there's definitely that convenience factor. I think that's that's a very important distinction. And I think even if you're not getting dual-sided readout, you know, this this goes back to the consistency versus accuracy argument. But, you know, if you're paying less for a power meter that you're more likely to use, there's much more of a benefit to that power meter. Right. And we have lots of new power meters right now. So which ones are more consistent? I mean, we know Quark and SRM are. Do we have reliable figures for things like stages and the vector and and power meters like that? Well, that's exactly what we're testing in our power meter um, test in our March issue. So be sure to check that. Um, We'll have some results for you and uh, be able to answer that question more accurately. Uh, how are you guys testing accuracy of power meters? Uh, I mean, I, so I like I went to a I went to a Quark presentation a long time ago, and they had like this big sort of scientific lab bike and compared themselves to that thing. Uh, is that essentially what we're doing here? So basically, we set up the different meters on on our bikes and put those bikes on a smart trainer that you can change the resistance. And so if you set that trainer at a steady resistance, that should make you ride at a specific power number. You can basically back calculate how much power is required. To exactly. Finish. So if we set that trainer at 200 watts, we can then measure the power on the meter and see how much it's varying throughout a, you know, a specific time during the test. And we can do that using different, um, different watt levels because, you know, one meter might be really accurate, really consistent at the lower numbers at 200 watts, but as soon as you get up Dan to, Hayes. we call it Dan. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you get up to, you know, the the higher power numbers, Daily that's base. where things yeah, yeah. can get a little bit. Um, I'll take that hot, as a compliment. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. So, so how many how many power meters are are tested? We're testing basically all of the major the major options here. Just because of limited space, I think we're going to be limited to about four. 
power meters. Gotcha. Uh, but we, uh, so we've got a couple tricks up our sleeves uh, to make sure that we're we're reading more than one power meter at once uh, and comparing the data and making sure that we're getting uh, as accurate information as possible. Am I am I correct in saying that this is the first third party power meter test? No, we could say it is. <laughs> It's the first third-party power meter test in the history of time. <laughs> I mean, which Maybe time not. period are we talking about? In the last three, three to four weeks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. So that's going to be in the March, March issue of Velenews Magazine, uh, which is coming out about the time that this podcast is coming out. So that is well-timed by us. Go team. <laughs> I think there's sort of an overarching theme here, uh, as touched on by Trevor and and by myself earlier, is that whenever you're you're looking at buying a power meter, you are essentially balancing you're balancing price, how much you care about consistency and repeatability, versus how much you care about, say, being able to move a power meter from bike to bike to bike. There are all these different things that make one power meter better for one person and worse for another person. Uh, you know, there's a reason why all these different power meter companies exist, and why they all have slightly different ways of doing this. If it was, you know, if the, if the crank based power meter was the only way to do it properly, then everyone would just buy quarks and SRMs and that would be it. Right. But I think that it's pretty clear just from our conversation here that there are other things that are important. Like for example, not spending $1,400 on a power meter or like for myself, you know, I don't really race all that much anymore. I still like looking at power because I used to race with power. I used to train with power. I kind of like seeing where I am versus where I was. You know, I don't even ride with a Garmin half the time. I just sort of throw it on every once in a while and go ride Flagstaff and be like, cool, I can still do X number of watts. Great. For me, that is sort of, that's like stages level caring, right? <laughs> you know, like basically just give me the cheapest one that'll show me a number. Uh, and I'm relatively happy. I know for a fact that Trevor is not in that same boat as me, uh, and particularly not with his athletes. So I think he cares about his his athletes' power even more than his own. All right, so we didn't talk about price of any of those, although just as a quick rundown, essentially Stages is among the cheapest. The one-sided Garmin is also down there. Quark uh, is quite a bit more expensive. SRM remains very expensive. We're talking what, $1,500, $2,000, something like that. Three times, four times the price of a stages. But as we also were mentioning before, there are different reasons to buy a power meter and there are different different power meters are going to work better or worse for different people. So let's just go around the room here real quick. We have two tech experts, uh, a expert coach, and whatever I am at this point. Uh, what would you guys buy? We won't put a number on it like we did with the $2,000 race bike thing. But, you know, keep value, take value into account. What would you either save up for for a really long time and buy? Or what would you just go out and buy for everyday riding if you could only buy one of these things? Because as Kristen said, most people out there are not going to have sort of the access to test equipment like we do. Maybe you're going to buy one of these and hang on to it for a long time. Start with Dan. I'm going to reveal something about myself that you may not know. I think that's I, illegal. I am exceptionally lazy. <laughs> uh, so I want something that's super simple. I don't have to think much about. Uh, and because I I also have a garage full of bikes. So my ideal system is something I can swap 
easily, calibrate quickly, and be on my way. In that sense, uh, the PowerTap P1s have kind of been my go-to. The other great thing about that, which also caters to my laziness, is that they run off of batteries that you will generally have in the house. Uh, whereas, you know, you, you don't... steal them out of your daughter's toys. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I like them because they're easy to swap. I like them because they're quick to install. They're quick to calibrate. Uh, I can put them on any bike. They, I think they're right around $1,200. Uh, so you do, I mean, it's, it's, it's an investment for sure, but I haven't, I've been using them fairly often and I, I haven't discovered any more anomalies in my power data than any other power meter that I've used. So I, I've gotten reliable consistency out of them and they're easy. So that's my pick. Just a note on the, the power tap P1 pedals. Um, you know, I think they're great as well, but they are only compatible with, look pedal um cleats right there there is an upgrade kit for shimano now so that's helpful but um that was the big thing that held me back from from using those straight away is because i don't ride look pedals right. so and the garmin vectors are the same exactly yeah. so that's something just to keep in in mind if if you're a you know a true speed play cyclist or if you ride something else that there might be some compatibility issues and technically you do have to have a special look cleat for the P1 pedals that come with the pedals. Wait, really? I've yes, um, but I've used them. Why? As, Why would they do that? I don't know. I, I don't ask these <laughs> questions. Uh, but I have used them with normal look pedals, and they're fine. Oh, so yeah. they're just lying to you. It's technicality. Oh. Lies. Lies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's I call a spade wrong? a yeah. spade here. <laughs> come on now. If it works with a normal look cleat, it works with a normal look cleat. Christine, you want to go next? Sure. What would you buy? Well, currently right now on most of my bikes, I have stages. Um, it's super easy to use. It's easy to replace the battery. Um, you can calibrate it. It's it's something that just, it's easy. It works. It's reliable. They do carbon ones now, right? They do. They have a carbon crank now that you can, uh, yeah, you don't have to just go with the metal ones. So so that's nice. I've also used cork before and been really impressed with that. It's re- really reliable. Again, it's easy to calibrate, easy to replace batteries. Um, that's those two things are pretty important to me just in terms of um, being able to go out and ride. And if you need to change battery real quick, you can do that. So those are the two kind of that are my my standard two choices. But um, like Dan was saying, the portability of pedals is pretty nice, um, especially if you travel quite a bit or if you're swapping bikes and you just want one, one power meter. I have had issues with the Garmin Vector pedals have you guys had this problem where when you switch them they run like i you know i use the torque wrench and all this stuff and they just run sort of off for like a ride and a half i've run into that problem is this because i'm stupid and i'm doing it wrong well let's just assume yes uh but (laughs) it's a good assumption generally but Um, i've had some mixed experiences with vectors in general Mm. so i think there's some some other reliability issues. No similar issues with the uh, with the power tap version. I have had one consistent problem with the power tap that should probably be noted. It works a lot better if you're using a power tap head unit. Uh, it has had some issues communicating with both pedals to the Garmin head unit that I've used. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I got that fixed, but it it was kind of quirky early on. Gotcha. All right, Trevor, what would you buy? So, in terms of my opinion of what to buy, I really look at it from a coaching standpoint, and that's getting numbers that are going to be valuable and useful. So that goes right back to that whole question of accuracy and, and consistency. 
and we've already established, I don't think any power meter is 100% accurate, but I do think some are more accurate than others. So if you want accuracy, if you want to believe that when you're seeing 400 watts, you're doing something pretty close to 400 watts, that's where you need to put down the money. So you need to get the Quark or the SRM. And I can tell you, like I said, I, I helped Quark out uh, before they launched in testing their products and, and was amazed. They'd send me these power meters that we would put on a scientific Bellotron, which is a $15,000 piece of equipment. And the Quark was never more than two watts off. Um, I liked it so much, I ended up keeping one of their prototypes, and I loved it. I had it for five years. Finally started to break down. I called up Quark to, to get it fixed, and they asked me for the serial number, so I said, seven. She goes, what are the rest of the numbers? I just went, seven. I was like, you have serial number seven? She, she flipped out. She thought that was really funny. But if you don't have the money to buy the best accuracy... I think make sure you spend enough to get consistency. If a power meter isn't going to be consistent, then it is useless. I think it's worse than having no power. So avoid these wind-based and a lot of these other crazy power meters that are all over the place. Yeah, we didn't even actually talk about those today. But basically, if it doesn't actually have a strain gauge in it, don't, don't even bother. So for me, yeah, a lot of people kind of attack the stages because it's cheap but my experience is they are pretty consistent so i think they are fine as a power meter are they as accurate as a cork or an srm i haven't found that but i think they are a completely valid and, and very useful training tool the last thing i'll add to this in terms of buying a power meter just a, a side point here i do work with a lot of athletes who own two power meters and do be a little bit careful about that so they basically have one power meter on one bike and a, a different power meter on another bike. Quite often, I see those two power meters be 30, 40 watts off of one another, and it starts really affecting their training. So I actually almost prefer keep one power meter and swap them back and forth or do the crazy thing I do. I have a power tap and a quark. I went in and recalibrated, did, played with the factory calibration of my quark to match it up with my power tap, make sure they had the, the same numbers. You are an uber nerd. Now that I am. Oh, <laughs> uh, Trevor. I love you anyway. Uh, I would I would buy a stages. And I've said this before, but like I don't I don't actually really race my bike very much anymore and I'm much more interested in occasionally checking to see how I'm doing and I just sort of like having power on a bike. Just it's like something else to look at and do. Um I do enjoy feeling like I'm getting better. You know, every year when I get back from covering races over the summer, I am terrible. <laughs> and I get back and I get super depressed the first time I go for a bike ride. And then, you know, two and a half, three weeks later, it starts to come around. And I like watching that improvement. And I think stages as of right now is, is the cheapest option for me. No? Kristen's shaking your head. Well, there is, there is one um, cheaper option. It's the four... I four eyes four eyes that's down to three ninety nine for and it's a left only crank arm and they're sponsoring Edix Quick Step yeah I think so we haven't tested one of those yet yeah. um so we can't give you any you know in depth feedback well, we're trying to get one in to get some testing on it but it's currently the most real like we think it's reliable. It's the cheapest one that we'd be willing to, you know. It's theoretically reliable. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think I'm still sticking with Stages because uh, their office is across the street from Bellanews, and I am concerned that Matt Pasoka would come and do harm to me <laughs> if I said anything else. No, I'm sticking with Stages because, as Trevor said, they've they're sort of consistently uh, been proven to be somewhat reliable and consistent, uh, and they are also pretty cheap. So that that would be my selection in a power meter. Thanks for listening. That was another episode of Fast Talk. We'd love your feedback. Email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. While you're there, be sure to check out our sister podcast, the VeloNews Podcast. Become a fan of VeloNews on Facebook at facebook.com slash VeloNews and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash VeloNews. Fast Talk is produced by VeloNews, which is owned by Competitor Group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Kaylee Fretz, I'm Trevor Connor. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.